Hello everyone and welcome to the Business of PT podcast. I'll be your host, JT Moore. In this podcast, we will be interviewing successful physical therapists and learning about their stories in the field of PT. We will discuss a variety of topics such as entrepreneurship, careers, and pathways in physical therapy, as well as important characteristics in becoming a great PT. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you liked it, make sure to subscribe to get updates when new podcasts are released. Thanks, everyone. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the podcast. Today, we have Austin Doss with us. He's a staff physical therapist at Fisher Institute, a partner physical therapist for the Phoenix Rising, and established his own concierge PT service where he treats patients at their homes. He is a PT, DPT, CSCS, certified in dry needling, and certified as a blood flow restriction rehabilitation specialist. Austin, thanks for coming on. Thanks, JT. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah. Would you be able to just go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience and give a little background of yourself? Yeah, no problem. Um, so I guess, uh, yeah, so I guess I was originally born in uh, Minnesota. Uh, I moved out here to Phoenix, Arizona when I was three. Um, kind of grew up around sports and stuff like that. So played a lot of baseball, football, basketball growing up. Um, I went to the University of Arizona um, for my undergrad. I got my bachelor's of health in physiology with a minor in psychology and biochemistry. Um, and then I went, I graduated 2016. So then I went straight over to the University of Southern California. Um, so jump packed 12 schools and I did, I uh, completed my doctorate of physical therapy over there. Finished up in 2019. So yeah. Perfect. There we go. Um, and could you go ahead and explain to us a little bit about your physical therapy career and the pathway of that and how you got to where you're at today? Cool. Yeah. So I think like a lot of people that get involved with PT, um, you do it at some point in your life, whether minor or major injury. Um, in high school, I did a little bit of PT, with my local therapist um, for a low back, um, just generalized kind of low back pain and whatnot. And then uh, I really enjoyed the environment that was there. Um, and, you know, junior summer, going into senior year, I started thinking about, okay, what do I, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? Um, and so then I was like, well, I'd like PT, but I also like pharmacy. Um, and then my sister actually at that time, she got accepted into the University of Kentucky physical therapy program. Um, and so I got to start kind of hearing about it from her, from the student aspect. Um, but even through senior year, I was like, all right, I think I'm going to do pharmacy. And to be <laughs> quite frank, um, my main reason for that was, oh, they make more money than PTs do. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. So I went to U of A. I started majoring in um, uh, chemistry. And then after one semester of chemistry, I was like, okay, this isn't for me. Um, so then pretty much right after my first semester, I switched to physiology and then uh, just started pursuing PT ever, ever since then and started shadowing and um, doing all the anatomy and physiology classes and all that good stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> hey, that's good. No, that is good to know. Honestly, chemistry out of all the prereqs that were required for PT, chemistry was one of the ones that I just didn't vibe with either. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> it, is yeah, a yeah it was one. like organic chemistry physical chemistry i was like oh my god i can't do all this stuff yeah <laughs> there you go so come over to the pt side um yeah, yeah. 
And so could you go and explain your career? How did you end up getting, did you always have a sports PT in mind? Did you want to become a sports physical therapist or what was the exact career path with that? And how did you end up getting to Fisher where you're at today? Yeah. So man, that's a, that's a good question. So uh, I think when I first started getting into PT, I definitely was like thinking, yeah, sports is probably the, the realm that I want to be in. Um, I think there's a lot of PTs out there as well that probably have that same, uh, same notion and want to do that, but then end up actually switching to a different career, a totally different career, you know, wound care or, you know, acute neuro, whatever it may be. Um, but I guess I just, I did, I did actually did a, a lot of different uh, shadowing opportunities. So I think I did obviously general like sports ortho. I did cardiac ICU. I did Parkinson's. Uh, specific um, I did neuro I did peds um, and I, I really liked I really enjoyed all of it um, I think it's a, a good challenge it was a good challenge to kind of see how it all interrelates with each other but I think sports ultimately was kind of what obviously intrigued me the most um, then obviously going to school then you go through all the different curriculum and whatnot um, you know you do all your clinical experiences and hopefully as diverse of a, of a, of a spectrum as you can. Um, and then my last clinical rotation of physical therapy school. So this was spring, so January to April of 2019. I, uh, I did my uh, last clinical rotation at Fisher Institute and loved it, <laughs> obviously, for, you know, for good reason. Uh, it's a great spot to be at. Um, graduated school and they just, you know, timing and stuff like that. Obviously they didn't have a position at that time. So I actually was at another place here in the Valley uh, for about 10 months. And then they called me in about February and said, Hey, we have a position opening. Wonder if you're interested, blah, blah, blah. So next thing you know, I applied, I got accepted and started there March, mid-March, actually the, the first day of covid closures of 2020 uh 20 yeah 2020 so yeah it was it was like a, oh gosh <laughs> kind of a scary moment but um it's all worked out and i've loved every second of it so far so that'd be a definite scary jump to come to that and then the next day have that all occur yeah um, well, i was like oh my god are they are gonna are they gonna be looking to do like like laying off people or what's 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 the future gonna look like here but i was assured that they were gonna try to keep on PTs and stuff like that so it made me feel a little more comfortable and thankfully everything worked out so yeah no I'm grateful that everything worked out because a little bit of background for all the listeners um Austin was actually my CI I was able to have some time over there at Fisher during my didactic and I was able to go over there at NAU we have one where we go once a week during our semester and I was able to go there um could you explain we actually had Trent on and he'll be on in a uh, previous podcast but could you explain to us a little bit about um Fisher in the atmosphere and what makes it so unique and why you wanted to go into that setting? Well, I think first and foremost, I mean, the, I think the environment itself that we have there sells itself. Um, you know, we got 20,000 square feet facility. Um, we got 40 yards of AstroTurf. We have every piece of exercise equipment you can think of. Um, and so I think we have a lot of different opportunities, different tools, um, and as well as just, I think between Trent, K2, Brett, I mean, that's close to, 
I don't want to date them or anything like that, but that's probably close to about 60 years worth of PT knowledge right there um, at our disposal. So as a young therapist, I think having those guys there as, as mentors and role models and whatnot, is just, it's, it's a huge draw. I mean, it's just, I mean, you can ask questions to any of them throughout the day. They have no problem with it. They'll definitely get back to you. Um, and I think it's just been, it's been a great place to grow, even as a young therapist. So yeah, what would be some of the advice that you'd give to a student physical therapist or young clinician um, that wants to get in the sports field of PT? You've uh, given me some of that advice and could you share some of that again with the audience? Um, yeah, so I guess, I guess some of the things that I try to um, advise uh, students on is, is just try to see as much as you can. You know, like I kind of touched earlier, I think a lot of people go into PT school thinking they're going to be you know, the next PT for whatever the Arizona Cardinals, Arizona Diamondbacks, Coyotes, whatever it may be. But then actually, you know, you take a wound care rotation, you know, and you fall in love. And next thing you know, you're treating wound, wounds in the hospital or you fall in love with, you know, neuro or Parkinson's subspecialty or whatever it may be. Um, chronic pain. I mean, you know, there's, there's endless opportunities out there. So, I mean, I don't really feel like you can make that, that full wholehearted decision until you've kind of seen everything. Um, so I always try to encourage people to do and see as much as they can, uh, even if it is outside of like your school stuff, then, you know, you gotta have the discipline and, and willingness to go and do that kind of stuff. Um, but I think it's super important. And again, you kind of tie it all together, right? So obviously musculoskeletal system doesn't work without the nervous system. So, you know, that's neural right there for you. So then you can go to a neural rotation and see how that correlates and those things and be sharp in that area um, which I think is, is excellent um, the other thing I would say is uh, don't be afraid to get out of your comfort zone I mean I feel like a lot of times especially in my and the sports realm and stuff like that you know you have all these like higher up people and stuff and you might be timid or scared or whatever it may be to ask them for an opportunity or to shadow or to follow them around with a patient and see how they treat or something like that. Um, I don't think that you should feel like you can't ask because <laughs> in all reality, right, what's the worst they're going to say is no. Um, so if they say no, then they say no, then it's no big deal. Like you move on or, or you stay persistent, you know, and, and you keep asking, but um, maybe ask in a different way or something like that. Um, but don't be afraid to ask. Definitely don't be afraid to ask uh, and get out of your comfort zone. Um, and then the other thing that I like to really try to push for a lot of clinicians is, uh, especially early on clinicians and me and K2 are actually having a conversation about this the other day, um, be an active listener, you know, with whatever or whoever you're talking to, uh, it doesn't matter if it's your patient, your colleague, you know, someone doing a presentation, whatever it may be, or just casual conversation with your buddy that's, that's a colleague, then, you know, just make sure you active listen and then, you know, I think a lot of times maybe we don't quite internalize uh, everything people say. So don't be afraid to be like, oh, what, what do you mean by that? You know, so if they start going off on a topic that maybe you're not comfortable with or maybe you don't know about, I think that's an excellent opportunity rather than trying to show how much you know or, or you want to show off or anything like that. <laughs> um, I think it's an excellent opportunity for us to all grow um, in those uncomfortable situations as a clinician and, and be as well-rounded as we can. Yeah. 
That's perfect. No, thank you so much for that. Because I feel what you said about that active listening. I was super grateful that I was able to ask you questions. You taught me so many different things while I was during that rotation there. And I know that if I hadn't opened my mouth and I hadn't gotten out of my comfort zone, that yeah, I could have, instead of being maybe prideful in that sense and not wanting to ask the question, I could have missed out on that opportunity. Um, and I honestly, like with this podcast that I'm creating, I feel like it's the same thing. I'm reaching out to some people and I'm like, I don't know if they'll say yes or no, but I feel like a lot of people, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people in the physical therapy world, we're here to help people and help improve people's lives. So I feel like you're going to get a more times than not a yes or a, a way to help out. And that's what I felt so far in yeah. all of my feedback that I've gotten with this as well. Yeah, yeah. That yep. is perfect. No, I, I totally agree. Yeah. I love it. Um, so yeah, can you talk to us a little bit about entrepreneurship and why you kind of got into that realm and what motivated you to do that to open up your own concierge PT service? Yeah, um, I kind of just fell into it, to be completely honest with you. Um, I had a patient from, once I actually switched to Fisher, I had a patient that uh, actually got in contact with me through email and asked, hey, where are you at? You know, how can I get some treatment done? I really like what you did and stuff like that. And I, and I, at the time, actually, I was doing, I was with a company and we were doing at home basically outpatient orthopedic type of PT but being with that company it just didn't really make sense for me with reimbursement and stuff like that so I kind of branched off and did my own thing um and she followed me so it was it was good and then it's kind of just blossomed from there you know it's it's just kind of referral by mouth and you know at this point right now um I don't really get I'm out like out there trying to search for like physician referrals for home concierge PT or anything like that it's totally just a friend of a friend kind of thing you know, like one of my coworkers said, Hey, my brother's girlfriend <laughs> threw out her back and wants to know if you can come over and help out with, you know, getting her back or whatever. And I'm like, all right, sure. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> so it's kind of an example like that of how kind of I, I, uh, accommodate and, and acquire some of the clients that I get. Perfect. What would you say have been some of the biggest challenges so far when you decided to become an entrepreneur? Some of the biggest challenges, I would say two things. First thing being is obtaining the clients, but kind of twofold with that is, is I got to be able to balance it with also, you know, a 40 to 45 hour a week schedule already. So that's just, everything I do concierge wise is just on top extra. So thankfully with our work schedule at Fisher, you know, we do have two half days. So that kind of works out well for me in terms of uh, timing and, and things. I don't have to go late nights or anything like that thankfully not usually I did at first but I was getting burnt out so I was like all right I gotta I gotta take a little more ownership here and be like okay I gotta learn how to say no basically uh no I can't come treat you at eight o'clock at night kind of thing um and then uh the second thing I, I think is managing that time like I was kind of touching on is, is is understanding and being able to look in the mirror and, and understand you know hey I am getting kind of burnt out like you know I gotta be able to say no like I obviously <laughs> PTs we want to help everybody as much as we can and do whatever we can, but, um, you know, you got to take into, you know, consideration your self-care as well. Um, because if you're burnt out, you're tired and you're trying to go see someone at eight o'clock, you're probably going to be grumpy. You haven't even haven't eaten dinner. Like you're probably not going to be providing the best care. And, and I mean, that's the thing with the concierge, uh, services, you know, it's cash pay, not through insurance. So you got to be willing to, you know, sell yourself and you got to be able to show, you know, what 
your worth is for how much you cost. You know, you got to show that to the patient or the, your client. And if you can't do that, well, then what's the, why are they going to pay you the money to take care of them? You know? So um, I think that's, that's definitely something I, I've big switch with, uh, with, with my concierge kind of thing is, is being able to say no and understand how to take care of myself. Yeah. That is perfect. No, that's something that I've actually recently been able to talk to other people about is burnout and being able to manage your time as PTs, because that's a real thing in, in the profession. So that's, that's great insight. Thank you for that. Um, with that, do you have future entrepreneurial goals in PT? Do you want to continue growing this concierge or do you want to get further into the world of sports PT? And what are your goals? Yeah. Um, right now, I don't necessarily know if I want I, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it a whole lot. Um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty new at this whole thing. I pretty much started once COVID started because I was trying to figure out how I can make some extra income and, and whatnot. So it kind of, like I say, it just kind of fell into my lap, but um, right now I don't really have, a, 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 I guess, any plans for trying to grow my client base right now. I have a few, but I'm just trying to keep it there again, just because that's what I can manage. And that's what I have time for again with the Phoenix rising and then, you know, working normal hours at Fisher and stuff like that. It's just, there's not enough hours in the day to, to do more. Um, so right now uh, I'm pretty content with where I'm at. Um, but who knows next year, maybe, uh, maybe some will change and maybe I'll want to try to scale back with full time and, and do that. But I, I don't know right now it's tough to, tough to say. Yeah. That's awesome. No. And actually, one thing we forgot to mention and talk about was um, your your experiences with the Phoenix Rising. Could you share a little bit about that? And what are some qualities that you've learned are important in working with professional athletes in PT? Oh, man. Yeah. Um, so with the with the Phoenix Rising, um, there is it's myself and three other physical therapists out of one of the other Spooner locations. Uh, we just provide physical therapy services for the team in conjunction kind of with their athletic trainers that they already have full time. So we generally rotate um, who goes out there. We're out there as a group. We're probably out there two to three times a week. So then I'm probably rotating maybe once a week, every one to two weeks. Um, and then we have the opportunity as well to help out with games, um, which are every Saturday, obviously only if they're home. Um we don't travel with them or anything like that, but yeah, no, it's been a really fun experience. Um, they have a great group of guys out there right now. I, I think it's been so much fun just to hang out with uh, different personalities, literally from all over the world. I mean, there's Russia, Mexico, you know, America, Africa, New Zealand. I mean, there's guys from everywhere. So it's, it's actually super cool to see how the, all these different cultures kind of blend together and uh, everybody gets along so well. Um, but I think, I think overall, like working with professional athletes, the, the biggest thing is, is at the end of the day, they're still human. Um, you know, you got to treat them just like you would treat any other human. I mean, there's so many people in the world that put people so high up on a, you know, on a pedestal and stuff like that. And I mean, what I've found is that a lot of guys just like to be able to have a casual conversation and not, you know, feel like, you know, they got to impress you or anything like that I mean just you know having good solid friendship like you would have with any other guy or girl is 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 fine um and I feel like most guys and girls appreciate that so 
No, that is, that's great. I actually going there and working at Fisher with you guys. It was really cool to see that, that at times I got, came in there and I saw like a famous athlete, like, whoa, but you get to treat them just like everyone else that you would treat. And they kind of really respected that. And they didn't require something of like extra because of who they were. It was just a very right. casual relationship between you guys. And I think that's something really important that I learned from that experience as well. Yeah. It's definitely a wow factor at first. There's no doubt about that. Um, but yeah, like you said, after that, then you just, everybody gets along and, you know, you guys have the same goal as to get the guy or girl healthy to get back and play at the most elite, you know, position that they can, you know, in whatever respective sport they play in. So, yeah. So thank you so much for answering that question. Another question I wanted to ask um, is about becoming a clinical instructor. Why did you decide to become one? And could you explain to us some of the benefits and challenges associated with that? Yeah, I, I, I just, I really enjoy being able to uh, teach and, and really kind of craft and mold uh, young clinicians. Um, I, I really enjoy the process and the time that comes out of it. Uh, it's a lot of fun to see where people can come and, and, and grow and what they can evolve into. Um, I think one of the benef- big benefits kind of selfishly for me is that, um, you know, I think like anything in school, if you're able to, if you're able to truly explain it, demonstrate it, go through it and, and not, you know, have any issues trying to go, you know, explain it or anything like that. I feel like that just, you know, fine tunes your skills overall in, in your thought process with how you go about things. Um, I think some of the challenges though, that might kind of come with it is, is making sure to manage some of the time. So obviously all of us have, you know, outside gigs and stuff like that, whether it's family work, uh, school, whatever it may be, um, you know, and at the end of the day, at the end of a 12 hour work day, maybe it's not necessarily the most fun thing to hang around for an hour and go through foot and ankle didactic work or something like that, you know, but sometimes that I feel like that becomes the, the difficult thing is making sure that you're going through all of whatever it may be manual techniques or examination skills or special testing skills, whatever it may be, um, is making it the big challenge is trying to find that time for that and making sure nobody's getting too burnt out or anything like that. Cause obviously as students, especially right now with the COVID, you know, pandemic and stuff like that is trying to figure out, you know, you know, some most most kids are, are trying to are are doing school on top of clinicals because they're trying to make up time and and uh, and all this stuff. So, um, you know, as a student, I don't want any of my students to get burnt out by any means because that's just not conducive for anybody, obviously. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I think that time management aspect is a big thing. Yeah, on I both love- ends, both as a student and as a as the uh, as the CI. So, that's perfect. No, I love what you said about. Um, you have an opportunity to reteach that, that information to people and really solidifying that. That's something that I definitely felt whenever I asked you a question, you had the reasoning behind it. And if I were to think of something, you challenged me on why I, I was doing that. And I'd give my explanation sometimes not knowing fully, but I'm sure you've had yeah. the experiences to really get that down and solidify those reasonings. Um, yeah. One of the- I think, I think that was, I just was, I think that's a big thing too, though, is being able to, you know, explain your thought process, whatever it may be right, wrong, half right, half wrong, doesn't matter. Um, as long as you're able to talk about it and explain something, right? That's how you're going to learn. That's how you're going to grow. Um, 
you know, if you, if you just say, oh, I don't know. Like, actually, I had a clinical instructor that said, I don't care if you don't know what it is, just do not say, I don't know. And, and that was 16 weeks of getting drilled with questions. And I was like, in my head, I'm like, I don't know. But then I spew something out random. And he's like, okay, interesting. Yeah. But how about we do this? And I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Why, why you do that? Cause then now it sticks, you know, kind of thing, rather than just being like, oh, I don't know. And then you just get verbatim verbal, you know, oh, you got to do X, Y, and Z to, you know, improve A, B, and C kind of thing. Well, you know, I don't know necessarily how much that sticks. So, no, that's that's great insight. Thank you for that. Um, one of the things that you meant that you're certified in, and that I saw you do quite a bit in your plan of care, was dry needling. And I haven't really spoken about that on the podcast yet. Would you be able to kind of discuss that and why you prefer to use that in your plan of care, and why a clinician that I mean, a young physical therapist or student physical therapist might be interested in applying that in their plan of care in the future? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously the big thing with that is it kind of obviously depends on what state you're in uh, and you're getting in each state's practice act. Um, I mean, being in Arizona, like it's, it's been, it's been legal in our, and in our practice act for a, a while now. Um, but for like example, California doesn't have it yet. Um, but that was the very first continuing education that I did when I got out of school um, just because I, I thought it was so important. Um, and I, I saw the benefits of it while I was on clinical rotations here in Phoenix, um, at Fisher and other places. Yeah. So basically, um, I, I kind of look at it as, as doing a couple things. So it kind of depends again, what you're trying to target, what your goal is. Right. So for me, there's a couple things, one being, uh, like just addressing just purely muscle tension, so tight muscles. So like, for example, right in an upper trap or something like that, you know, super locked up forward head posture you know I have burning pain that kind of goes down the back or, or just kind of just generally just super locked up kind of thing um, getting in and then actually trying to kind of like trigger point dry needle that that upper trap um, I think actually significantly improves a lot of times that muscle tension um, not to get too sciencey with the whole thing but basically with that muscle tension right so in theory you take it in and you get that kind of like muscle twitch. That's kind of like what you're shooting for. It's not necessarily always super important, but sometimes you do want to kind of target that muscle twitch. So when you get that muscle twitch, then you kind of piston that, that, that muscle a little bit. Um, and then it causes multiple twitches and eventually, hopefully it, you don't have any more twitches. So in theory, right, that muscle is now fatigued out. Acetylcholine is just completely depleted at that, that neuromuscular junction. Um, and then afterwards, because you don't have any of, you know, I kind of use the ana analogy of the gas in the car. If you, now that you don't have any gas to fuel the car to run, then, you know, now the muscle is in theory relaxed. Um, and they talk about some of the research saying that like in tight, excessively hypertonic muscles, um, there is an excess of acetylcholine at that neuromuscular junction. So trying to hopefully get that back to a normal, you know, homeostasis is, is kind of the goal with that. Um, and then the other big thing, I think is that it causes just some like micro trauma to the area. So again, some of the research that they provide us with um, and that they've done talks about how a lot of times pathophysiology, whatever it may be, some type, some sort of injury uh, usually has a correlation with decreased microcirculation in that area. So a lot of times you take that needle and you can take it in there, whether it's just one stick or, you know, kind of pissing it around, you're going to cause a little bit of micro trauma. You're going to cause that micro increase in microcirculation. 
So hopefully you can get some kind of exchange of toxins in that side of dysfunction, right? And then now you're kind of hopefully flushing it out because now you have that improved, you know, circulation there. And then uh, they actually they actually do touch on, you know, overall just improving pain levels uh, because with that needle, they actually have, again, some more research that talks about how it's able to uh, stimulate some of the descending pain inhibitory pathways to the nervous system. Um, so you're able to modulate pain pretty good with that. Again, though, with, obviously with every manual technique, especially dry needling, it's not an end-all be-all for, for anything. Um, you know, the proof, is, proof in the pudding is with exercise. So you definitely have to facilitate it with some exercise, whatever improvements you make uh, for them to stick. So. That is perfect. That's a great CI answer right there. No, thank you for that. Um, that's perfect. Are there any additional information? Is there any additional information or thoughts that you, or advice that you'd like to give or share with us? Oh, man. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, again, just to kind of wrap it all up, but, you know, as, as, as an aspiring, you know, clinician, you know, trying to get through school and stuff like that, the biggest thing is, you know, you just got to be willing to, like I said, get out there you know, meet new people. Um, if you'll, as you get into your career, you understand that the PT world actually is super small. Uh, and, and it's kind of cliche, but it, it really is true. Um, and, and just try to get as much experience you can in as many fields as you can talk to as many people as you can. Um, you know, never stop learning. Um, that's huge. And, and don't be afraid to take criticism. Um, don't be afraid to admit that you're wrong or, or you don't know. Um, I guess I probably shouldn't say I don't know. Right. Um, <laughs> but, but, but I mean, I think you understand what I'm saying is that, you know, we all don't know everything. Um, there's going to be someone else out there to help you, whether it's CI or, or, or a research paper or a podcast like this, whatever it may be, take it for what it is, try to see what you can learn out of it and then see then how you can apply it to, to your, your practice, your life. Perfect. Thank you for that advice. Um, if someone is interested in, in reaching out to you and talking with you more, what are some of the best ways of communicating with you? Uh, I think probably the best way to reach out would probably just be email. Um, my personal email is, uh, it's just going to be Austin. So A-U-S-T-I-N-M as in Mark. And then my last name, Dawes, D-A-U-S. So Austin M. Dawes at gmail.com. Perfect. Thank you so much for that. And thank you for coming on to the podcast. Honestly, that was great. Appreciate it, JT. Uh, really enjoy it. So yeah, I hope everyone that's, that was able to listen to this really enjoyed it, was able to get a lot out of this and increasing and furthering their knowledge in PT. Thanks, guys. Thanks, JT. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the podcast. I hope you liked that episode. If you did, make sure to subscribe and also leave a review. Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next time.